Today my guest Tom Coyle is going to talk about uh, his military transition and how to take your passion and your interest and, and enhance that through side gigs, right? So it doesn't have to be necessarily this entrepreneur, this force, I need to go out and do this to make money, I got to do a side hobby or, or a side gig, side hustle that I'm not interested in. It's how, how to kind of dumb luck, as he said, turn side hobbies into income. Uh, and then how to directly go after just your interests and, and have fun while making a few extra bucks. So this is, a, is an episode you're going to want to listen to if if you're looking for that transition, especially now, and you're looking for side in, hobbies and uh, interests and hustles where, where you just want to have fun. Uh, learn it from Tom because he has a bunch of opportunities uh, that he turned into income and he wants to share with you how he went about doing that. Coming up, you from the skies. Lay up, lay up, lay up, high ho, lock and low. Hey, Tom, I appreciate you taking the time this evening to come on View from the Skies and, and share with our listeners. And, and I know you're, a, you're an individual who wears kind of many hats or multiple hats, but, but still has that passion um, from your military days uh, for, on the leadership side of the house. And you've kind of generated your, your side interest into, into income. Uh, but before we get to all that and kind of Build us up to that. You know, tell us a little bit about your background. You know, who you are, where you are today, and and you know, a little bit of your military transition and some tips for the listeners out there. Sure. And Ryan, you know, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to speak uh, to your audience at View from the Skies. And uh, so, yeah, I, I was um, always when I was a kid, I always wanted to go to West Point. Well, I just went to a one dude was Service Academy. It ended up being West Point. Um, and initially I wanted to fly, but then my eyes started getting, my right eye, my left eye is fine. My right eye started going bad. I couldn't fly jets. Like, well, I'm not going to the Navy or the Air Force if I can't fly. Um, and then I was really impressed with West Point's leadership thing. So I got, got into West Point, focused my effort on that. And kind of, you know, graduated thinking I was going to serve a 20-year career in the Army. And uh, that didn't happen. Um, and it just sort of just kind of let myself take uh, different paths as they happened, explored opportunities. Uh, and uh, so basically, it, as I was going through the Army, I, after I was at 101st Airborne Division, my first assignment, and um, really loved that, really loved the people. And I kind of did some um, moonlighting as a musician. I was so close to Nashville, so I got to play with a lot of Nashville-based bands. And uh, fast forward to 2012, my, one of my old bands, we actually played at the uh, White House, uh, which was pretty cool. That's awesome. And, <laughs> yeah, I just put it at the White House. No big deal, you know. Yeah, you know, it's just like it's just those things that happen, you know. Uh, I actually had a Sony record contract that fell through, uh, which was also interesting. Um, we got done recording, and by the time we got done recording, it was the boy band craze, and they're like, sorry, guys, boy bands, that's what's hot. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll's dead. So, you know, we went out and did our own thing, but... Um, Went on the army, went to another assignment, and um, you know, 
tried my hand in special forces, made it through selection, but not, not the Q course, special forces qualification course. So I was trying to like, well, hmm, what do I do? You know? And uh, so I went, I was an artillery officer, went back, took an artillery assignment at uh, Fort Benning for 110 field artillery. And I just kind of realized, you know, just the army was kind of wearing thin on me uh, for just, you know, look, I mean, it's just one of those things. Um, I found myself to be the person who needs to sort of change things up every so often, you know, I'm good for about five, five to eight years and something. And then I need to go and do something else. Uh, that's just me. Just I need to change the scenery. And that's just something I've discovered along the way. And I was really, I was an international affairs major decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to um, go in the state department and did that. And, and so um, the ironic thing is when I was in the army, I never went anywhere um, deployed. I was basically the guy who either just just left a unit before they went somewhere or arrived at a unit after they went somewhere. And, you know, um, when I was, I was a, I was a company, I was a battery fire direction officer for the guns. And then I got rotated to another battery being executive officer. And then that battery I left went to Kosovo in 1999. And then I gave up command of a Q37 counterfire radar detachment in December, in July, 2001. Then after nine 11, that unit went to, um, Afghanistan, like December-ish timeframe, 2001, for force protection measures. So, okay, well, I was no longer there. They went, and then, um, and then I uh, showed up to 110 field artillery, and that was October 2002. Everyone, had, the team was all set because the invasion of Iraq, they knew it was imminent. And so, looked at my resume, so to speak, said, "Oh, you've got command experience. Well, you're going to be the rear detachment commander." So I, I stayed back and did that. So I never went there. And the big irony is that when I went to the State Department, like, oh, you, you've got some military experience. So we need people who can go to a war zone. So they sent me to Afghanistan, my first assignment. So I, I went as a civilian government employee to uh, the war zone, uh, which was kind of interesting. And, and then uh, did another assignment uh, in the Balkans and Bosnia. And then I just, uh, that was that was a fun assignment, got to travel around a bit. And then uh, came back to Washington and been hanging around there. Then uh, I was supposed to take another assignment, but then met my now wife. So I just turned that down to sort of see how things were going with that. And obviously they went really well. And then it was about 2013, I started to my, do my own thing, which I kind of started as a side hustle, uh, Adventures in Leadership and, and uh, focused on the youth market really thought there was a really a big need there. Plus kids were moldable. And I look back at my service academy experience at West Point and, you know, that was a, a, a very a big part of my development was going through those, at, during those years. And so uh, ran our first youth program um, in 2014. And uh, yeah, it was just really, really cool program. And then they started getting corporate gigs because companies were like, hey, can, can you come to my company and do this? And my vision for this whole thing I, it came about because I sat through some middle management course in leadership, which was someone speaking for an hour on leadership. And so poof, you sat through the hour presentation, congratulations, you're a leader. Um, and I just looked around, I knew everyone's gonna put their, their, it was good information, but people are gonna go back to their offices, set the notebook down, never look at it again. And there's really no assessment, right? There's no assessment in terms of like, who's a leader. So I kind of came up with this whole experiential model. We got people out there doing things, not unlike things you've participated in or many of your listeners probably participated in, in their military days, like a leader's reaction course type stuff, modeling it after that type of training where you're like, okay, you're in charge, here's your task and, you know, figure it out type of thing. And then facilitating instructions and or, um, facilitating discussion afterward. 
culminating the week-long youth program, culminating a trip to Gettysburg. We did leadership lessons to the Battle of Gettysburg. But again, um, what I did took my, my notes when I was a lieutenant. Um, so we, I went to Gettysburg twice as a, as a lieutenant. The first time I went, there was a major who was really into the Civil War. And he got into some of the details, like how far the guys stood and all the, the really nuts and bolts of the tactics of the day, which I thought were completely irrelevant of what we need to learn as Army officers. So I looked at it as like, well, let's look at it from a leadership standpoint. And I, so when I was in charge of putting up the next trip to Gettysburg together, I made it all things like, okay, um, you know, obviously the, the anniversary is just this past July 1st through 3rd. I was like, okay, so you're Lee, you have this brilliant plan called Pickett's Charge and Longstreet, one of your key uh, advisors is saying, hey boss, this is a dumb idea. Boss has got a bad idea. Let's talk about that and talk about how you address that and have these discussions, make it interactive. Then, then we also flip it around. Okay, so you're the boss. What it, someone you trust told you, hey, this is a bad idea. How do you process that knowing you're still the one who uh, is overall responsible? So, we get, you know, just kind of taking these points and discussing them. And this led to me getting corporate gigs. So, hey, this is kind of cool. Can you come to my company and do this? And started growing it that way. And I had a book, which I wrote in, uh, I finished writing it October, 2013, Leadership Lessons to the Battle of Gettysburg. And that was pretty cool because I, I, the initial version was an ebook, which is still available. And, and then, but this is before I put the uh, paperback book out and I sold it for $2.99, a little 47 page book. And I made 1600 bucks the first three weeks was out. And part of my incentive for finishing it was the government shutdown of 2013 because like my wife and I were getting married and we weren't, I, I knew I'd get paid retroactively. She was working in government as well, but we had a lot of expenses we had to cover and I, well, what can I do to get some income? And I have time on my hands. So I, I finished the book because I had this idea of writing something about the Gettysburg battle. It was the 150th anniversary of the battle on, in 2013. But I thought, you know, it was one of those things where I had like about a page by about October. I still hadn't finished it yet. This file, I was like, you know what? I got time on my hands. I'm finishing this thing. I'm knocking it out. And there you go. And uh, then I eventually had, and I made about 500 bucks a month off of that which was pretty cool. Nice little chunk of change for the next six months afterward. And then I had a, a paperback book that's also now available and just started to, uh, I really had fun with that and doing these Gettysburg talks. And so like, even now, like I, then, you know, being able to do that while working in government too, is I was able to do that and, you know, start, you know, build up the business, take leave here and there to take different, different companies, organizations out to Gettysburg or come to the company and give a presentation on Gettysburg and really enjoyed that. Yeah, so I mean that, that that's a lot. So you you know you're you're a musician, you're a you know leadership a connoisseur turned into you know small business, uh, a book writer, and all while doing it while while working with the State Department. So we're gonna dive into some of that, um, you know, in a minute. But 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 tell us about you know your transition first. Like what? Yeah. What worked for you? What didn't work? You know, uh, how did did you transition again after your first transition? You know, and, and just some of the key points um, for the listeners to take away. Well, it, no, it was really funny, and you know, I I know it's the process has improved somewhat, so I'm going to be probably using a lot of dated references. But when I left the army, it was you had this thing called ACAP, Army Career Alumni Program. And it was basically, so before you separate from the army, you had to go through this program. So what was funny is, you know, I'm sitting there and, you know, obviously when you apply for a government, any kind of civilian government job, it's, it's, it's not a very fast process. And, you know, one day I just get this letter, congratulations, you know, you're, uh, after going through a bunch of processing, interviews, all that kind of thing, hey, you're, you're, in, you're you know, 
great, we want you to start um, you know, a report. And, and so I was like, oh, sweet. So I'm just going to get out of the military then. Well, as I'm getting ready to leave, because I have a job, the Army bureaucracy, and this symbolized the reason why I was at my breaking point with the Army. Um, I get this thing like, you can't leave the Army yet. What do you mean? Because you haven't taken this course on how to find a job. But, but I, I've, I've got a job. You know, you need to take the course on how to find a job before we can let you leave the Army. But, but I, I have a job. That, that's, that's why I'm leaving. I already have the job. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't let go of one branch without having a firm grip on the other one. You know, I mean, uh, what's the deal here? And then at insult to injury, they were like, well, you know, you can't leave just yet because, you know, you've got to, you know, cause you know, obviously you have to register for ACAP so many months out and you're within the town. So I, it was like, you've got to, got to be kidding me. And this is that I think encapsulates the, um, the army in a nutshell. And uh, it's sort of another experience where, uh, when I remember I mentioned, I was thinking, and I, I think this is a good point because everyone transitions at different points. And you know, your point of transition is everyone's gonna leave the military at some point. Some after they've made the rank of flag officer, some are gonna be, some are beyond their control. Either they got injured, whatever, maybe it was a family situation, which like, but whatever, you just say no. And I graduated West Point thinking I'm gonna serve 20 years. And that, then the first hint I knew I was gonna probably leave is uh, Fort Campbell had this shopette and I get called in because, um, oh yeah, I was on staff duty officer, right? It was like a 24 hour shift, a lieutenant has to take it. You sit there all night, all that kind of thing. So I rented some videos from this shopette. It was like a little blockbuster if, of the, the AFI's blockbuster, if you will. And you no, know, one of my buddies was taking on the shift after me. Hey, can you just leave the movies here? Sure, why not? And someone was like, hey, can I, can I just borrow the movies? I'm sure, why not? I figured they were due, but I was going to pay a fine, whatever. I'll pay the fine. It was like, you know, something ridiculously low. It's, I, I just was like, all right, whatever. Returned the movies, paid the fine. And about, a, you know, I get called in there like, hey, you know, uh, Lieutenant Coyle, uh, you, you know, you're, we're a professional organization. Uh-huh, yeah. Like, well, you know, we got this memo, you returned the videos late. I paid the fine. Yes, but you know, you're an officer and you shouldn't return videos. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like like Ford Motor Company, like they're gonna get like they would actually give a shit if I return the video late. I mean, if you called Ford Motor Company, hey Tom Coyle, return these videos late, he'd be like, Why are you wasting my time with this crap? Yeah. And it was it, it wasn't so much the fact that they I mean, if AFI wants to send a letter to my commander, okay, fine. It's that he decided to sort of, hey, you know, uh, we need to talk about this instead of like throwing it in the trash. Especially if it was already clear I already paid the fine. I'm like, okay, this is absolutely I, I can't do 20 years of this shit. I, I just can't. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and, or when we, when we, um, when we were playing, we were playing a game of football, we decided we were, we were killing some time. We were done with our tasks. So we were playing football and I made the call. We didn't wear reflective belts. I'm like, dude, it's the middle of the afternoon. And suddenly somebody's like, you wear a reflective belt. Like it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, you know, the cars need to be able to see. Okay. A, we're on a field. So no cars are going on the field. This one's on a field. We got a whole bunch of other problems there. Um, second of all, I mean, really a reflective belt, like, okay. And it's just, it, the stuff like that just got on my nerves. And um, so I, 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 that was just the point, you know, it just, you know, everyone's got their different point. There's no right or wrong answer. And I was like, well, I need to start looking for an exit point. <laughs> I really need to look for an exit or I'm going to go nuts. Um, and I mean, I, I loved the army stuff, like to be in the field with the soldiers, all that kind of thing. But it's like, okay, it was time to move on do something else. And, you know, I thought and like, when the whole 9-11 happened, obviously, I was looking at it. And so the thing I'm like, where do I, this is where the transition started. So kind of getting back to the transition point is, where do I see my value in a post 9-11 world? 
And I looked at it like, did I see myself as, you know, at the time I left, I was a captain. Captain Tom, who, you know, is going to be probably, since everyone was kind of becoming infantry, you know, in terms of patrolling or whatever, and like, or is that what I want to, or just going through some village? Or did I want to be something more strategic? And I looked at it like um, being in the foreign service, being able to kind of work at embassies and do that kind of, some of the big picture stuff, which went with my, what I studied in school. I thought this would be sort of a, a better fit for me in my interests and how I could better serve the the uh, security establishment, if you will, during this so-called war on terror, which, uh, um, and so that's that's kind of where I, I saw value. And I looked at some of the things I was able to do, meetings I was able to have, and some of the things I was able to do, I thought, you know, I felt I had a much more strategic impact as a foreign service officer than I did as junior officer Tom walking around Afghanistan. So um, that was one thing I was, grateful for. So my initial transition was not necessarily going to the private sector, but still serving in government, but serving in a different way. Yeah. And it was, it was that, that straight line to, you know, like you said, what you value, you know, and it's, it's figuring out, you know, who you are and, you know, what is, you know, I, I, yeah, what you value in life. Right. So, so it might be, uh, and it's something that I reiterate, um, it might be, uh, you know, in your case, it's the ability to just think and be strategic and plan and have that, uh, you know, relevancy or I guess, um, you know, mission in life, so to speak, uh, for somebody else. It might be um, not, you know, not even income driven. It might be, you know, I want a better work-life balance. I want better family time or whatever the case is. So, you know, and I think I think it's often you know, push that, that income. Oh, you gotta, you know, whatever you were a captain. So you, you know, you're going to have, everybody tells you, you're going to have to take a step back. So, but, but some people tell you, well, don't take a step back, you know, take, take an, you know, uh, find a way to at least get the same income and, you know, generate your resume that spins it. And I'm not saying don't generate your resume, but at the end of the day is, is what you value is not always, it's not monetary all the time, you know, so right. it, 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 it could be, hey, I'm taking a step back because I'm taking a lower income, but I'm moving to a lower income area to be able to, you know, spend time with my family and I've always just wanted to start a farm or something, you know, so, so now I'm making less income, but I'm doing the things that I love and the things that I value more and maybe I don't buy as much groceries because I you know, have a farm and or whatnot, you know, so, so it's all, it's, it, it goes back to, like you said, focusing on yourself and seeing where you fit, you know, where you mm -hmm. fit in the big picture and not just being uh, that, that not settling for being a spoke in the wheel, you know, or, or gear in the machine, so to speak, like being able to create it uh, for yourself and it doesn't always have to be through work. And that's why I love your story. And that's where we can get into, you know, balancing, all, you know, all these side gigs and turning them into income because it, it's what I've done with, with View from the Skies. You know, I always thought I have to get back to the military community. This is what I want to do. I want to have a mission. I want to have purpose mm -hmm. in my work. But I've come to realize that there's so many other ways I can do that. And now I'm doing it via podcast. It's opened up the work opportunities for me a little bit more because I can fulfill that, that mission or that drive that for, for me to give back and support that military and that veteran community without having to narrow myself into a job scope that, that aligns with that. And uh, once I, once that started to click and once I started to figure that out, 
little bit more, which which was after I transitioned, mm-hmm. but uh, was where the possibilities really started to open up. And now it's to the point where, you know, I'm I'm generating my side gigs and my side hobbies and interests and finding ways to potentially explore, um, you know, and generate some income here and there off of them, maybe. And if not, it's still a hobby and it's still something that interests me and, and I'm happy doing it type thing. So, um, so that being said, I mean, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, these side hobbies and when they became, you know, from, from, you know, musician, which I know you still play and, and you almost had a contract there from, obviously you walked us pretty detailed in the adventures of leadership and then the book, but, but how do you, when did these become hobbies and then how, how do you find these hobbies and how do you and potentially go and turn the hobby into some, something that generates some income where you don't have to rely on that income, so to speak, uh, through, through your employment? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so first I'll talk to the musician because this is the first time that I, this is like with the side hustle. I, I went through a stretch where I was making more money as a musician in Nashville than I was on my lieutenant pay. And uh, it, it was pure dumb luck. Like when I, I love playing music. Like I was at West Point, you know, I'd, we'd get a couple guys together, we'd jam with bands and that kind of thing. And, you know, occasionally I'd go to New York City and I'd just, you know, sit in with bands and do that type of thing. And so I was kind of like, you know, looking for just give it the guys, play a few bars. I wasn't like looking for, I, I mean, what ended up happening, happening, nothing in my wildest dreams prepared me for this at all. It was just like, I like playing music. I need something as an escape and I want to do that. And, um, you know, a friend of mine, I'm at this restaurant, a friend of mine was working as a server there. So, hey, you know, there's this guy, he's had a drummer back out. I mean, cause I was, I was getting to the point where I was always like bringing some percussion with me or whatever in my car just to kind of jam with people. And he's like, yeah, he's, he's got a drummer who's not available, needs a drummer for tonight's show. Oh, cool. Um, and he, he was at the same place I happened to be at. And I met this guy, I had a one song audition. He goes, yeah, you sound great. Stay up here. And I became his regular drummer percussionist. And, um, he had won all these various songwriters polls and this and that. He he still longs to be the, the performer, but you know, um, he's he, he fast forward today. His big niche has been in songwriting, where he's written songs and appeared a lot of soundtracks for, for shows and stuff like that. But you know, we had this band, and then our our guitarist, um, he actually to this day he's done shows with uh, um, uh, Thompson Square, uh, Trace Atkins, players, folks like that. He was he, we all went our separate ways as the record thing fell through. And um, I was playing the guys, was the guy, one of the guys, the guy I got played the White House with and that whole band where we had most success, that was Mark Aaron James was his name. And like he would, I remember the funny, the, like we were sat there one time and like we're in this, I'd been playing with him and I still didn't really appreciate like how good he was and where we were in terms of like songwriter circles in Nashville. Cause he wrote songs that got turned into a lot of country songs. He was a rock and roll guy. But I remember like one time we're sitting in this restaurant and um, you know, Garth Brooks shows up like, holy shit, that's Garth Brooks. And he's coming toward our table. Goes right up to Mark. Hey, Mark, you know, what are you doing? Good thing. Hey, this is my new drummer, Tom Coyle. Hey, you know, nice to meet you. And then at some point, you know, Garth's sitting out with this restaurant. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I, I could probably get there now if I was back in Nashville, but all the musicians would go there after their shows. Got this great after midnight menu. And I'm, I'm asking to borrow a pen. And he, and he goes, No. What do you mean, no? You're about to ask his autograph, aren't you? Well, uh, no. You're his equal. You just haven't had your big break yet. You can shake his hand. 
whatever, say hi, do not ask for his autograph because you will never be taken seriously again. And I didn't. Hey, hey, Garth, you know, nice to meet you. <laughs> Glad to stop on by. And you know, you know, yeah, yeah, nice to meet you as well. You'll stick with it. You know, stick with Mark. You know, you'll, you, maybe you guys will get, you guys should get your shot one day. And, you know, it was really cool and seeing some of these things and like play with a guy named Chance Hale. And we opened up for Alan Jackson, who was sort of a big late nineties uh, country guy. Um, and just, just, so now this just was like a complete accent. This was, I wasn't even looking for something. Contrast that with adventure and leadership. I was actually looking for something. I was like, you know, I wanted to kind of get in this leadership space. I had a job that afforded me some, a degree of flexibility with leave and that kind of thing. So I thought, okay, I could do, and my initial thing was just to kind of do something in the summer or take a couple of weeks off and do a couple, do one or two leadership weeks with a group of kids. And that, so that started as more like, I felt a calling to do that. I wanted to do, I was actively seeking something and I also wanted to get money for it too. I mean, obviously I didn't want to do it for free. And so I, I this was something where I looked at it as a deliberate income earning thing. Um, and that's where adventure leadership go with the, with the goal of turning it into a full-time thing. And of course, I mean, the beauty of, um, having it as a side hustle is, you know, I've got a job that gives me insurance and all those types of things and also steady income, but it's a, it's something that can keep growing and growing and test out things. And if I fall on my face, no big deal, but I mean, and it's always a trade-off. But the thing is like, yeah, if, if I were, you know, single, I could have probably crashed on somebody's couch. I want to go in this business all in and I'll do your laundry and cook for you or whatever. I could have made some drug deal like that. But, you know, by having a job, I actually have access to capital. So I can actually use the money I make for my job to help grow the business in other ways and so do things like make, make some good videos, like the, the uh, video on our website, which I had a guy do for me and, and uh, take some business coaching classes as well. And so that's how that grew up there. And then sort of my latest thing with just the AI piece, it started to get into, I wrote some articles about how on the civil war related thing, I write on medium and LinkedIn and Facebook and was talking about how Lee, I mean, Pickett's charge, one simple innovation, rifled weaponry. I mean, that, that very simple, that, that's what made Pickett's charge essentially obsolete. And that's about leaders not keeping up with technology. And if you don't keep up, the history is full of these exams. I wrote a whole article about this and then somebody's like, hey, you know, can you come out here and teach my company how to implement technology? And I started doing a little thing like that. And I started kind of, having, and I was doing, getting involved in the AI space. Uh, had a real big interest in that. And I was teaming up with data scientists and things like that. And I was just kind of ideating on this stuff. So now I'm actually helping companies implement AI solutions, which was sort of just, it kind of goes into sometimes, th again, this was more of an unplanned thing. I mean, it still fell in with the leadership, but I was helping leaders understand the technology and how to ask the right questions. Cause a lot of these business leaders say, give me some more AI, but don't even really, but then you got the technical people like, well, yeah, I can do AI. What do you want it to do? They don't even know how to really express their end states. Now I like, kind of Give, so I've been using this pandemic time, giving courses and things on, and helping people, leaders understand AI and what it is and what it isn't, what it can do for them and what it limitations are. And not, not necessarily to make people programmers, but just enough to do some things while having some hands-on exercises where they roll their sleeves up a bit. Like we, went, we had one where they, got, they all built an object recognition camera. Another time they built a chat bot. Another time they built a VR video and tell everybody, hey, look, if you can turn on a browser and surf the net, you can do these things, at least at the basic level. Now, obviously these types of skills, the more complex you get, the more skilled you have to be, but at least to show them, hey, you know, Kind of in the spirit of being a lieutenant, you know, I did all my jobs, my soldiers in the fire direction center, I learned all their jobs, not because I'd ever do it better than they do, but just so I could understand how to conduct the orchestra. Um, so basically, two things were sort of 
opportunities that just just emerged and became opportunities and, and one was more deliberate. And I think the writing's also become deliberate as well. My wife and I work on a cookbook right now. We'll hopefully have that released. Um, we had to get past Amazon sensors because my wife, despite working at NIH, because we mentioned COVID, like, oh, you know, you can't say this because you're not COVID experts. Like, well, my wife is at NIH. And we don't even talk about COVID in the book. It's just like, hey, this during the time of COVID, people are eating are eating at home more. And so we've made this cookbook. And that's all we say, but they're like, oh, no, you, COVID, whoa, we don't, we're not publishing things on COVID. I'm like, you idiots, it's, it's, we're not talking about COVID, but you know, whatever. Um, so it was just, I, I guess I've always been someone who's, always been wanting to do things. And sometimes things made money. Oh yeah, here's another, so another side hustle. Um, I started doing, the, I, I got into um, sort of holograms and CGI graphics. A friend of mine was a, was a founding partner at Hologram USA. The guys who did Tupac and Michael Jackson hologram. I, I just like, I want to learn how to do this. And so I just learned how to do it. Made some funny videos. I made a thing called Jurassic Backyard. We had these dinosaurs and stuff I added to the backyard. My wife and I running away from dinosaurs, kind of a funny thing. This again, meant as just a funny little video I did. Next thing you know, I got one of my West Point classmates who's an entrepreneur himself going, hey, can you come to my daughter's birthday and do this? And I'll pay you uh, X amount of dollars. Like, wow, okay, this is a <laughs> this is pretty good money right here. And, you know, so doing some of the, and so that, that I did a couple one-off things with that where I, I wasn't intending on making money, but then actually made some nice money with that. And then, you know, writing on medium, I like, I like sharing my content and I've had enough where it's like, it's paid for a couple dinners, you know, not, not to quit, quit my day job, but you know, the difference between posting on Facebook or LinkedIn and, and medium is that you get some money out of it potentially. And so I just, it was just, it was just sort of the medium thing was wanting to share my thoughts with the world and have something that just was out there, help build a following, but you know, I got, got some money for it. So a mixture of accidental opportunity with also some, some planning and, and of like, like, for example, a book was a clearly planned thing I wanted to do. Eventually you should have a planned thing. Music was like, okay, that happened. That's pretty cool. Um, the AI thing, it's, it's, it's kind of a hybrid. It's an extension of my leadership stuff. How do I sort of better give things leaders need to know but it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a planned thing to go in the AI space in terms of coaching leaders. Yeah, no, so, so, and I love it because, you know, here's a few things I want to break down and, and I would, you know, I love the fact that basically you're saying some of it's opportunity and some of it's deliberate, but even the opportunity stuff is, I guess, where I won't say it's opportunity because, you know, you talked about it um, being dumb luck, but it wasn't dumb luck that you, you know, you carried your drums around with you and you were ready, you know, you were prepared, um, but you were prepared not so much to make money. You were just prepared to, hey, I want to, you know, if there's an opportunity to jam, I'm going to jam, you know, like, yeah. so, so I, I wouldn't say it was, it was, you know, opportunity basis or, or dumb luck based as much as it was, um, you know, you just weren't, uh, you know, like you said, you weren't deliberate, you weren't seeking it out, you were just kind of living your, your, your interest. So to me, it's something like, oh, you know, whatever, I don't know, so you make hot sauce at home, you know, and you attend the local chili cook off, you know, well, you know, the, the, the prepared thing to do would be when you bring your hot sauce, you know, and you don't bring just enough for you to try the chili, you know, put it in the chili or whatever you bring in, you know, a couple of bottles or whatever and hand them out to people, you know, Hey, this is good stuff, you know, and then it becomes, it becomes that, that dumb luck phase into, Hey, you know, a lot of people are liking this. Where, where, where can we go with it? Or maybe nobody does and you just like it and stays in your fridge and you still, you know, don't, for hot sauce you know like so so mm -hmm. it, it, there's there's 
it's turning that that just finding ways to be um, like you know I guess smart or just be prepared um, with your interest um, always being ready you know so to speak uh, on your side interest and then uh, you know it could be something even too like like uh, you know drone drone people go out and fly drones you know and all of a sudden you know they're out they're driving around keeping it in the back of their car or whatever and one day somebody needs to you know you got somebody hunting hey you know we'll take a look at that field over there we think there's you know we think there's some hog over there we don't want to scare them out or something you know next thing you know you got a business on your hands you know so uh you know and then there's there's the deliberate piece like you said of of you know wanting to do more learn more and and you drive it more directly so um, I, I think there, there's both aspects of it. So, so let me ask you this then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, having whatever, we'll say five uh, uh, kind of side hustles here, um, you know, how much of it, because you know, I think people out there, they're like, oh my God, it's, you know, he works, a, you know, maybe not now, but, but back then he worked full-time job and then he's got, so I, man, it sounds exhausting just listening to it. The guy's being a musician, he's, he's, you know, uh, working on AI, he's writing a book and he's working, you know, whatever, call it a 10 hour day or something, you know, so we're in order to point Afghanistan, you know, for, for the Department of State. So, you know, tell us a little bit about like, you know, is it exhausting or is it not, or is it fun or does it, does it take a lot of time? Does it, does it, um, you know, or, or since it is a hobby or an interest, does it maybe take time and it doesn't feel like time that's being taken? You know, how does that balance with really your, your work life? Yeah, no, great question. And um, first off, like, um, to me, for me, it's essential. I mean, I, I need these things in my life just to keep me sane. Um, I lead, When I was in Afghanistan, I have a picture, I'll have, I can send it to you. Uh, it is me playing with a group of Afghan musicians. Uh, I, I was in the, um, playing in the embassy day room there type of thing. And I was like, I had a, um, I just got a DVD from one of my last gigs I did in DC before going off uh, to Afghanistan. And one of the, one of the uh, FSNs, the, the locally employed staff was like, oh my God, you do play drums. My, my, I got a cousin, he's got this band, whatever. And I, Okay, sure. And I was actually I'm playing with this Afghan band. <laughs> I like some we were playing at some, some restaurant on Chicken Street, whatever. And uh, it was it was kind of a cool escape. Now it's like and then I, sometimes I when Ben people say, "What are you doing in Afghanistan?" I was a musician. Show me show me music pictures. Like, what the hell? Like you're a musician? Yeah, you know that's just just me being a musician. That's what I did. You know, if <laughs> I just didn't feel like in a discussion about my job, or whatever, and uh, feel that was fun and. That's the thing. If, if it seems like it's too much work, you're not doing the right thing. I mean, yeah, there is some point at work, but there are some tools to leverage your time. Uh, a great resource I've used a lot is Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, and Upwork.com. There's great ways out there to finding people you can outsource work to. So if you're trying to like make a video, I, like my video on, my, on, on the homepage of my website, I've got... Um, I paid a guy about a hundred bucks to do that video for me. I threw in some clips and this and that. I said, here, here's kind of a general idea I'm trying to do. Here you go. And um, I, was, I was really impressed. I certainly didn't give the best guidance and the guy came up with a great, great product. Um, you know, hiring, you know, getting partnering with a guy who could do like click funnels and that type of thing, which you can do these, these uh, 
So I'm not sure how many, much your listeners are, are listened to. They have a company called ClickFunnels, but it's the funnel concept. It basically, it's your whole like campaign for engaging and building your audience. And you can outsource and find people who do that. Um, and so, you know, but you know, you got to have some capital to pay someone to do that, but that's a way to leverage your resources. Then to me, it also helps my creativity even in the day job because I think some of my best ideas, my most creative ideas at work have come to my head while I've been playing drums or working out in the gym or basically everything except my actual job. I don't necessarily do a creative, I don't, I'm not creative when I sit in front of my desk with my computer, okay, be creative, think of something. I, I don't do that. It's these other things enable that creativity and when I walk away and I'm doing something different, it's so everything kind of feeds on the other things. So all of it feeds on each other. So it's, it, it may seem like it's disjointed, but the things I do in music reinforce my day job and the things I do with the, the CGI, it, it just, it keeps my mind agile. Like the, the most valuable value to me is my mind's always agile and I can see different ideas and things because I'm, I'm involved in so many different things. I see what's out there. I see all this new stuff and I get exposed to different ways of thinking. And, and here's a good lesson for your listeners here. So um, I was in the 101st Airborne Division from 1998 to, I was commissioned in 97. So by the time I did the OBC, all that kind of stuff, it was uh, January 98 to um, uh, July 2001. And in that time frame. Uh, first, our battle map, we had basically, there's only two countries in the world that existed, Iraq and North Korea. Basically, we could train for contingencies. Like, you know, we didn't actually deploy anywhere. We, we eventually, like, toward the latter part of my years in, in at Fort Campbell, we picked up some of the Kosovo rotations and that type of thing. But, you know, they'd send all these units that were um, like Fort Riley, Kansas, and stuff like that, who were, because, you know, they had to save 18th Airborne Corps in case the balloon went up in North Korea or Iraq. And so we did a lot of like field training locally or going to NTC or JRTC, stuff like that. But we didn't really go anywhere Oconus. And so, and it was interesting is we were just so focused on that. And, you know, I kind of heard something about this Bin Laden guy and I was hanging out with my musician buddies in Nashville. This was uh, about 1999 or so, 98, 99. And, and uh, one of my musicians was like, hey, what's the military doing about Bin Laden? This guy seems like a real big deal. And it, it's it just, and so here are my musician buddies talking about Bin Laden. And in the 101st Airborne Division, you know, there, there really wasn't much to talk about. I kind of went back and I'd kind of go back to my boss. Like, what about this Bin Laden guy? And it was like, yeah, he was dismissed as some guy in a cave in Afghanistan, at least in the conventional army. And I can't speak what the special operations community was or was not doing. But the 101st Airborne Division, one of the most recognizable units, Bin Laden wasn't a focal point for us. And, you know, he'd already blown up two embassies in 98. Um, he had his declaration of war in like what 96, I think it was. Uh, but anyways, and, and so yet here are my musician buddies. They're like, hey, this guy seems like a big deal. So it's, it's, it's like being exposed to that diversity of thought really comes in by just interacting with different people. So not only was it an escape, it just really helped me be more creative and better understand the problem set and start asking like, Hey, what should I be looking at that I'm not looking at? What are the things out there that we should, that are there and that kind of thing. And, and just kind of, it also reinforced my ability to help sort of a big thing about what I do in all these things is understanding cultures, understanding people's perspectives, where they grew up, what they did and how they um, process things. You know, like people have different outlooks of the world based on everything they have and, and, and what, how they grew up, who their parents were, their environment around them. And that's always been a sort of a fascinating topic for me. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, uh, the key takeaway is to, like you said, find the things that keep you sane. And, and I love the, you know, I'll go back to it, but uh, 
you know, the, your, your musician friend who, you know, played, um, and that was, you know, that was a natural starting point, but now he's just, you know, been a songwriter and like, he goes back to like, what his real true passion is. So, you know, as you, as you explore some of these side gigs, you know, um, you know, side interests and side hobbies, you know, and take leadership, for example, you might, you might be, you know, start, want to start a whole consulting business on leadership, but then you find out like, wow, leadership's a pretty broad thing. And although I am interested in all kinds of leadership, you know, I'm really a, you know, whatever, servant leadership. So I'm going to be focused on individuals and companies who want to develop, uh, a, you know, build a, a servant leader uh, organization, you know, type organization. So, and you just, and you go from there, you know, so, so there's the, I don't want to say niche um, you know, but, but kind of the more you break it down you kind of peel away the onion where you can find that, you know, true, really true passion and really what you're, you know, good at and what you're interested in. You want to keep reading and asking and looking for more and, um, you know, and, and like, you know, I'm, I'm, I got that way recently with, with real estate. And it's funny because there's like people are like, oh, real estate, you know, and it's like, uh, you just want to be a, you know, you, are you going to flip houses or are you going to be a property manager? You know, is what, really what the pe most people think. And then you start deal, you know, you start looking into, you know, land management or tax liens or, uh, you know, I just rolled over my, um, I just rolled over my TSP to self-directed IRA to invest mm -hmm. in, you know, invest in uh, with a friend who, who's, you know, has like a dozen properties or so and, and is effective and knows what he's doing. And to me, it's, uh, you know, it, it diversifies my portfolio, gives me something to learn a little bit more. Uh, but, but, you know, if I just ran, ran into the first roadblock and said no, when, when, I started looking at funds and how to learn and how to get into it. I would have, I would have, you know, pushed that to the side a long way ago. So, but the, the bottom line is it was interest. It's something that, like you said, keeps me sane. Um, so I continue to find ways uh, to navigate that that are interesting to me, that fit my skill set, fit my financial situation, um, so on and so forth. And then and then build and kind of grow it from there. And you can build it up, and then you might end up. You might build it up and then and then go back down to one niche you know hey it became a little bit too much for me to manage i don't want to manage a mm -hmm. you know a whole office of people or whatever and this is the real the aspect i'm really actually just focused on and interested about so i'm gonna although i like the other stuff like this is the one i truly want to do and i'm gonna keep staying with that you know and i, I think there's i think there's power to that and it could be anything you know like i said it could be you know, it could be whatever the, the chili cook-off or whatever the case is. Sure. You know, and, and, you know my, one of my, uh, my, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my brother-in-law, my wife's stepbrother. Um, he, uh, like the dude, I mean, this is Texas and he makes probably the best brisket I've ever had. <laughs> nice. He, he, that's saying something, you know, like uh -huh. I had a lot of brisket in Texas and, and he just does it like on the side. I'm like, man, like, you know, like, why don't you, and he's been, he's won like medals and cook-offs and stuff, you know, awards, but he just like, hey, I guess he just doesn't want to, you know, open a brick and mortar, um, you know, so to speak. But, um, and, you know, I can't say I blame him because then you got to go through marketing and a lot of other stuff he's probably not interested in doing, but, but I still think there's a way, you know, and it's rather than just saying no, 
Um, and I don't want to open a restaurant, so therefore I cannot make money cooking some of the best brisket you've ever had. Um, but there, but maybe you can potentially find another way, you know, find out what, what is truly that interest of you cooking that brisket, you know, maybe you end up building the smoker, really, but it's not about the brisket, it's about the smoker, it's about the rub or whatever the case is, you know, so um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing and walking us through that. No, no, absolutely. And I like your point right there as you're talking about how like, you're, you're pivoting type of thing in terms of like, there has been never a better, there, there's been, there's never been a better time for more opportunities and more ways to kind of approach something, you know, uh, um, you have outlets between social media outlets, like, you know, food, you got food trucks, so you're no longer having to do the restaurant type of model anymore with like having to pay up front. Like I think it's truck and now you're wherever the crowd is instead of having to deal with, Oh crap, your restaurant's no longer in the trendy area. Um, one thing I sort of share the witnesses, a transition I did where, um, I was chasing dollar signs and I didn't really enjoy it. And your, your, your discussion on real estate made me remember is, is um, I had uh, was doing some side work for a financial investment company. And so after 2008, I wanted to kind of do more of my own investing. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I, I don't need to pay someone to lose money. I can lose money. I, mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to pay someone to do that. So I started taking some classes in stocks and options trading and I got to be pretty good at options trading. In fact, um, and I have a group uh, that I have of folks who, are, who follow me in my options trading and that type of thing. And we've, we've been doing quite well um, buying puts. So that when the market was going down, we made money and now it's going back up. We're making money. And, uh, and I wanted to, sh my, my, what my real passion was, it took me a while to discover this, was to sort of help the everyday investor, someone with a relatively small account, um, understand markets. But what I got in the financial thing, what, what I was into this company, um, they wanted me to basically get clients who are already rich and make them richer. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was a lot of money, but I just, you know, I, I kind of had the envision of helping people like my parents, right? That's what I wanted to help. And so I was in finance, but I wasn't doing finance the way I wanted to do finance. And it wasn't, and I wasn't good at it because it wasn't aligned with my interests. And I think the, the lesson here is don't be afraid to walk away with something when you, when you, you, you went into it for the right reasons, like I did with these guys, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And it took me a while to discover that. And it took me even longer to admit that. And so when you kind of realize something's not the right path, and this is running, whether you're in the wrong relationship with the person that you think is going to be your significant other, and it's not that person or whatever, whatever it is, or if it's, uh, you, know, you know, in the military, we come to this thing of loyalty. And we always think like, well, you know, I'm loyal. I gave my word, but you know, life is short. And um, the minute you, you realize you're in a bad situation, leave. You're not doing anybody any good. Um, and you don't have to get it right. You know, the thing is, accept the fact that as you transition, and this is whether you're doing side hustles or not something entrepreneurial, or if you're just going to work for another company, you know, you may not get it right out of the gate. You know, you might get to a company, it all looks seem perfect. You went to the interviews, you did all that. Then you're in there for a year going, you know, this is not what I want to do. And, and don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to say, hey, you know, this might take a couple transitions, if you will, before you find the thing that's the right fit. You go into something, you think it's the right fit, and maybe it's not. And that's okay. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of people I've come across to, a lot of veterans, they think like, oh, they somehow screwed up or they did something wrong. They are the problem because this this awesome opportunity is not working out for them. No, no, absolutely not. There's, there's, it takes two to tango. And, you know, you go into something, you have the right, and, and the beauty about being in the civilian world, once you've left the military, you know, you, you give a two weeks notice and you're on to something else. You know, yeah. I mean, just don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to realize, you know what, 
I got it wrong. This is not where I want to be. And it, like, when, when that one company is a great company, I have the utmost respect for them, that financial company, but I just, it wasn't a good fit for me. And it, 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 I, I was in there a little too long. So I was eyeing the dollar signs, but I'm not gonna make any dollar signs from, from not sort of al aligned with my interests. Yeah. And, and I think that's well said because, you know, you look at it and it goes back to the beginning, right? You wanted, you thought you wanted um, to be a career military. And I think most of us, not everybody, but most of us get in, we want to be a career military. And then it is what we think it is. And some parts aren't what it, you know, what we were prepared, prepared for or what we thought it would be, or just the organization changed or whatever the case is. And, and, you know, we we moved out you know and and the, like you said the difference is is that in the civilian world you can change within two weeks um you know and i think i think a great point for me is um uh you know i love building relationships networking i don't really like the pressure of sales uh, but i but i thought there was a free uh salesforce training through uh trailblazer and i said okay i'm gonna do this um you know, and in the past, I would have done it uh, full through and then probably never used it. But I did like the first, I don't know, like five training exercises or whatever the case is. And I just said, this isn't for me. Um, I'm not going to waste any more time on it. Like I gave it a shot. I thought it was cool, uh, interesting. But after playing with it, um, you know, playing with it, uh, an app, uh, so to speak, to build relationships. It's just not me. I know it's modern way, it's modern technology, but it's not mm -hmm. me. It's not who I am. It's not how I'm going to succeed. So I'm not going to spend any more time on it. Now let me move on to something else that that interests me, where uh, potentially I can grow that. So um, yeah, I think that's uh, perfectly well said. So. Uh, I really appreciate everything, uh, Tom, this evening. Uh, I want to hand you the open mic and kind of, um, you know, I'll, I'll have uh, the Adventures and Leadership website in there and some of the Fiverr and Upwork and some of the other stuff. But any other plugs or, or things you need to push or, or, you know, your book a little bit more, whatever you want to push, the floor is yours now, man. Okay, well, uh, before I push, I'll leave everyone with one final thought. Um, build it before, or sell it before you build it. You know, test the market out before you do it. Take low risks. Um, in fact, this is me setting up my promotion of my online course. I have a Leadership Lessons to Battle of Gettysburg, which is now an online course. Part of that with, I started doing it before the pandemic. But the idea was that people couldn't get to Gettysburg. What can I make it to make it more of a course that was, you know, maybe different from a book or I couldn't get out to a company, but someone, or maybe someone's like, gosh, my company won't pay for this, but I want to pay for this. It's on Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y.com. And, and you've got all kinds of great online learning resources there. And I got, I'll have a few other courses coming down the pipe here. And I'm just trying to edit them and, and get them forward. You know, another thing on my plate, but what I was able to, what's good is like Udemy doesn't cost you anything. Like the big thing is online courses. People are trying to do this. This is like the big thing people are doing. And you, you can join things like Kajabi has got an online course de design and some other of these things, but they require some investment up front. Well, the beauty about Udemy is, you know, you can validate your concept. You can, you can set up your course for free. It doesn't cost you anything to set up your course. It costs you some time. And then, you know, if your course is, doing well, then you can upgrade to one of these other paid platforms. Cause obviously when the, the double-edged sort of Udemy is cause your course is there, but you know, people go to the course, but if they, if they see other leadership courses, like in my case, they might go to, Oh, I'll take this one instead of Tom's. Whereas if I start using a Kajabi and doing Facebook ads and stuff like that, it's all directed about mine. They don't 
other than closing the ad, they don't necessarily see somebody else's leadership course. But you know, it's the trade-off there is like, you know, I can, I can offer something, I can validate the market, see, get some feedback from people. And that's another, another good way to kind of reach a broader audience and get people in. And same thing with a book. Um, writing on Medium is a great thing. I, I kind of, when I was looking at some other books as a follow-on book, I looked at, you know, what are the things I want? Like, let me write on all these different crazy disparate topics and see what people are gravitating toward. And then that's the, where, they, where I'm getting the biggest response. That's the next book. Like, and, and, you know, so you may, maybe write a different article on different topics. Doesn't take me a lot of time, but it allows me to sort of get some quote unquote market feedback on where things are. So um, whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to promote, uh, before you put a lot of time in creating something, you know, don't just write a 300 page book that one's going to want to buy, you know, write something smaller, start with articles, LinkedIn posts, see if people are gravitating toward it. And then you can, um, I use this. In fact, I got a book coming out right now. Which is just, all it is is a comp compilation of some of my LinkedIn and other postings and such. Um, designer, D-E-S-I-G-N-R-R.com. And it just compiles all this stuff. I don't have to do anything. I just basically put it on the URLs. It compiles. Poof, I got a book. Sweet. I can, and that'll be coming out. I'm just doing, doing some fine tuning on that. Um, but then you got a book. So um, yeah, I have my book, Leadership Lessons of the Battle of Gettysburg, my online course of the same title. I'll have some, and if, if you just search me on Udemy, there'll be some other titles coming out on crisis leadership, and innovation, that type of thing. Um, but I think, you know, this is a great time to test the waters in something you've always wanted to test. Between COVID and people working from home, you know, there's less commuting. So that, that's freeing up time right there. You, the average American spends nine hours driving back and forth to work. Well, right now, a lot of people aren't doing that right now. That's, that's the nine extra hours you've got. And sort of, what does you want to do? You know, write it down, think about it, try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, Wayne Gretzky, you're not going to make any shots you don't take or something mm. like that. Yeah. Uh, yep. Just, I just can't emphasize that enough. Whatever you think you want to do, start as a side hustle. That's the other myth. Everyone thinks to be an entrepreneur, you got to jump right in and be starving while you're waiting, waiting to get some money. Take advantage of the, the, all these things that are out there that allow you to start something as a side hustle. Write a book about something you're an expert in and see what you, and it's, it's amazing what people buy. I mean, you can sit there and look at like, you go into Google and start like, what are, what are people searching for? And like, when think, oh, I know something about this topic and write something about that topic. And it doesn't have to be a large book. One thing I found out, people look at books. No one's going to, most people don't even read all the books they buy. That's, that's one thing. They buy books. They don't necessarily read books. Uh -huh. Second of all, no one's going to read a, a 300 page book by Tom Coyle. Like, okay, who are you? Um, you got to have general next to your name or former president next to your name or cabinet member by next to your name to, to write one of those books. And even then people, most people don't even read all those books. So I've been doing, my goal is my next thing is, is writing shorter books, like that 40 some page sweet spot book there because a it's thin enough on a paperback copy. I can take it to networking events and that's my business card, if you will. And it's, I can sell more books. I mean, if I, I can sell one 300 page book or I can sell lots of 44 page books or something like that, or even a pamphlet. People are making money online, just selling like two page documents. So you sort of figure out, and I'm using books as a thing to carry my thing of the different ways of just a written product can make you money. And just sort of think like, what do I wanna do? And start small, test it out, get some feedback from people that you trust. And people will really give feedback, not, like, not the people who go, oh yeah, that looks great. And they, that's the response to everything. Like people will actually really go through and get you that good feedback and then go for it. When I first released Leadership Lessons of the Battle of Gettysburg, um, 
I uploaded the wrong copy. I had this one copy that all these people took a lot of time to edit for me and that type of thing. And I get that one of the reviews comes in and talks about all these errors. Like, what are you talking about? I had all this editing. I realized, oh dear God, I uploaded the wrong copy. You know what? <laughs> the beauty of the digital age, take that one down, put the right one right back up, poof, problem solved. You know, it's like, but at the end of the day, I looked at it, I laugh at it, but you know what? I got the book published. I did something that only 1% of people ever actually do. You know, if you write a book and you know, you've got a podcast, there's something, you, even if you're you know, like, you know, podcasts and people say, well, you know, don't just go up there if you want to do a podcast and buy the microphone and buy all that, you know, just make a YouTube video, use your camera phone, make some YouTube videos, start building a following. And if, and if people are liking what you're saying, then maybe you do a podcast. Yep. You know, and then, but you know, there's lots of free ways to test something out to sort of see if, if this is the kind of thing you want to do. And from everything from the topic to the medium that you're doing it in. And then, then, you know, if, if something's not working, okay, go back to the drawing board, come up with something else. Or if it didn't work, maybe there's something else. Maybe it's not because you have the bad idea. Maybe there's just, you just got to tweak the idea a little bit. Um, so I, I think I'll just leave it with that as just some words of wisdom with people. And so Three bullets real quick. You know, don't be afraid to try it. Don't be afraid to make a change when it's not the right thing to do. And, you know, get feedback and you'll be gravy. Yeah. No, well said. And I appreciate it, Tom. It's been a wonderful conversation. And, and I know, uh, you know, the, these are some, these some tips and tricks that uh, folks can add to their, uh, their pocket and then um like you said you know uh, hopefully motivate somebody to just start small and try something on the side and and see where it goes from there oh sorry i, I do have to share this one thing so a lot of military people try to, especially when they try to translate well i'm an infantry person how do i translate that into something what you really got to try is, is is the value to what to who you're trying to serve whether you're starting your own business or you're joining another company i had a friend of mine uh, there's a company called honest tea they're out in bethesda um, they're, they got acquired by the Coca-Cola company a few years back. And a friend of mine was in the military, loved the tea, loved the product. And their whole thing is creating a sustainable growing and, and working with the environment to create healthy food, beverages, for people mm-hmm. wrote the CEO and said, look, I don't know if I have any skill your company needs, but I believe in your mission and I want, and I have to be a part of it. And they gave him a job. Yeah. And it was a, it was a higher salaried job than he, what he was getting offered in other places. Yeah, no, that, and that's powerful. Absolutely, I love it. And um, you know, the thought has crossed my mind too. Uh, certainly, so um, I'm glad you shared that um, because it, because it does work. It might not work all the time, but uh, but it does work. So um, you just show how much you care and believe in a brand like that, and and people are people love that. We'll eat it up. Absolutely. Tasks can be taught. Passion can't. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it, Thomas. It's been a wonderful evening. Hey, likewise, Ryan. Really appreciate you having me on and uh, ha- have a great night. I'm looking forward to when this thing goes live. Absolutely. Take care. Play up. Play up. Play up. Hi, ho, lock and load. very passionate conversation from an individual who, who, you know, probably resonates with most of us. Potential lifers in the military decide to, um, you know, explore some other side interests and just, you know, don't see the, the ultimate end state that we thought we might. And then how to go about having fun, 
for your future employment, uh, you know, for the rest of your life and, and, and generate and turn interests and hobbies into income. So appreciate for sharing your experience, Tom. It's a wonderful conversation. It's going to help leave the foxhole better for the next person view from the skies. Thank you.